Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work, and my guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Andrew. All right. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the district council's plans to introduce localized community versions of Night Vibes Hong Kong. Under the proposals, each of the city's districts would hold activities highlighting their neighborhood's characteristics in a move aimed at stimulating consumption. The first such campaign could be introduced as early as next month in Simsatsoi, ahead of Valentine's Day and the Lunar New Year, with international artists, lantern festivals, and dragon dances on the agenda. And after 9.45, we're going to talk about Mickey Mouse's entry into the public domain, unprotected by copyright. Or will he be? Let us know what you think about Night Vibes or the new Free Willy. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or call us on 233-88266. And piling into this today, we're going to uh, get to uh, one of our guests who knows a thing or two about district councils. Jeremy Young is a member of the Central and Western District Council. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. We're also joined today by Kenneth Kwong, uh, who is the Assistant Professor at the Department of Marketing at Hang Seng University. Good morning, Professor Kwong. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. <laughs> so, Jeremy, uh, you're a district council member over in Central and Western District Council. You're looking at what they're doing at Yao Mong, which is uh, a district council that encompasses Chim Sao Tsui, um, I think all the way up to the border of Mong Kok, right? So Jordan, everything in that area. What do you think? Are you, what do you think of these plans to kind of have like a little mini night vibes or a localized version of night vibes? Um, too much too soon or do they actually have a solid plan? Thank you. So we, it's a very timely question because we just had our first council meeting yesterday. And uh, we, we all felt really good. The vibe was good. <laughs> Never mind the, the night vibe, the, the council vibe was good. The council, was it a nighttime council meeting? <laughs> no, it was morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Early, early, early birds. Um, no, I, th I think the, the government uh, should be credited for taking a lot of initiative. Um, which, which government? Right off the bat, uh, Hong Kong government. Okay. And, uh, Maybe district uh, council? Uh, the council, councillors, a lot of us are new. And uh, we, we are appreciative of a lot of the quantifiable KPIs that government set for themselves and also for us. And one of the key highlights of yesterday's meeting was um, to, to declare the, the two day and night vibes for the Central Western District. And, um, and in fact, it's not, it's not something new. If we look back into history, um, it has been done before. It's just probably not as, as a response to post-COVID. Habits of people have changed. Uh, we need to stimulate the uh, consumer spending. And, and hence, having this, again, uh, an initiative that, you, that worked and proved to work is really good. The only thing that we really need to look at it is how to coordinate the dates so that it doesn't happen all at the same time, um, because that will draw a lot of resources away and, and people can only attend one or two. They can't keep on doing it uh, in a very short period of time. I, I think it's a sustained effort for the government to really change the local citizens' lifestyle habit. Uh, thanks to three years of COVID, a lot of people are used to just staying home, staying in a private den, uh, spending our lives online. <laughs> so really getting people back out there to connect with people physically and getting the little shopping habit, which used to be their favourite sport in Hong Kong, I think right. it's really good. Right, Jeremy, good morning. It's Mike Rouse. Um, a, a lot of this sounds like Back to the Future. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching this, night, night markets, neon lights and signs. Mm. Um, it's not new, is it? 
I don't think it's new, but I, I guess uh, from the various initiatives the government has tried post-COVID, the night market, the night vibes, uh, seems to be one that you know people actually enjoy. Yes, they enjoyed them before, I guess. Um, what yeah. about Dr. Twangshu Kwan is telling people uh, to be watch out? Flu, COVID, both reaching a, a new climax. Uh, do we really want? Is this the right time to launch it? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, I think after the COVID, now uh, more people come out and they would like to have some entertainment, like shopping, dinner, meeting with their friends, etc. So I agree with uh, Jeremy that this is a good time uh, to have such a initiative. But I, I don't think uh, it is a kind of an old thing. Uh, I always say we can have a new theme, okay, that... You know, uh, making the entire event more interesting as well as attractive to the uh, local residents as well as the tourists. Should we have it in, in sequence among the districts so that one week or one <coughs> month it's Central and Western and then oh, the next one, Jim Sajoy, and then the third one, Wan Chai or something, Where, rather than all at once? Yes, yeah, certainly. I agree. We need a, a kind of a coordination. Otherwise, there will be uh, overlapping. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, if we have uh, several events simultaneously, that will, you know, need to be tired. I mean, as a consumer or the local resident, you know, so which events should I attend? So I think a kind of a coordination. And as I mentioned several times, we need a theme. For example, maybe in the first month, we have an event in a particular district. And then in the other month, we have another follow-up. I mean, you're a professor of marketing. Uh, it seems like, with all due respect, it seems like these counselors just kind of said, oh, uh, government did it. We can do a mini version. Um, would you like to see maybe a little market research, a little strategic thinking yeah. from people who actually run events as opposed to just right. counselors popping up going, same, but smaller? Yeah, I, I certainly <laughs> agree with you, Angel. Uh, I, I think uh, we need to do a kind of research uh, and try to understand more about, you know, as we say nowadays, that the, the habit, the, the, the pattern of the, cons uh, the consumer might change. So I think we need a little bit research to get ourselves updated. And also it provides us a, a kind of an insight so we can uh, arrange the, the event in a, in a better manner. Yeah, Jer Jeremy, is there is there a difference between district councillors that have been at this for a while and some that are coming new into the role and the new ones are like just trying to throw any random idea they can to make a name for themselves, whereas the older ones <laughs> might be like, eh, that's not really how things work. Come on, guys, let's slow slow your roll and let's think about this seriously. I mean, is there a difference between those two types of councillors, the new ones and the uh, the experienced ones? From, from what I can see, the difference between councillors have not been any more significant than the differences between councillors in the past. Mm. Uh, the, the biggest difference in this council term is that we are really working together and people, when we speak, <clears throat> we spoke to war to the chairperson. In the past, at least in the past 10 years or six years, when we spoke, it was always about opposing another political party side. The stance was more important than the content. Um, yesterday, everyone was trying to ensure they add value to speaking, and not everyone spoke all the time. Um, it was on time. It was disciplined. Every You can feel everyone was rowing in the same direction. Now, what you didn't ask that I think is important is that because chairperson is a civil servant, it's the district officer, whereas before it was elected uh, a fellow member. So I think it is key for the government to really understand 
are the district officers coordinating amongst themselves? As you said, should we do a big bang, every, everything, everywhere, all at once? Or should we drip drop and let the, the, the fest, uh, night vibes take place from one district to another? I, I think that there needs to be coordination. I can see some, but from where I'm sitting, I, I can't have the full picture across uh, districts. And Jeremy, uh, on the atmosphere thing and the, and the way the meetings run, in the past, did the members address each other directly without going okay. through the chair? Well, uh, we always have to start by speaking to the chairperson, but not just right, out, right after that. It's, it's everyone's game. Uh, it used to be quite chaotic and not just speaking. People would physically um, move to another person and speak at the member. I mean, people brought in props. People, uh, cons- it was really a circus uh, in the past two terms, uh, especially the last one before a lot of them evaporated and left all chairs empty. So yesterday, having everyone on the seat was just a feel-good factor already. Mm. So, I mean, uh, you know, but if we're looking at events, I've got a, I've got a comment here from Ilner. Uh, we, it has been shortened because it was a pretty long one, so it needed a little, little, uh, little editing. Let me uh, dig into this. From Ilner, uh, in my opinion, it raises questions as to whether the proposal to boost the economy through holding district-based vibes aligns with job responsibilities and jurisdiction of district council members. Typically, district council members are tasked with handling important district issues such as traffic management, crowd control, street hygiene, and noise pollution. While tourism can indirectly impact these areas, it is not traditionally considered a direct responsibility of district council members. Their primary focus should be on addressing the immediate needs and concerns of the local community. District council should prioritize livelihood issues and work towards improving the living spaces and facilities for all community members, especially those who are less fortunate. Night vibes should not come at the expense of all residents living in a given neighborhood. It is essential to strike a balance that considers the well-being and preferences of the entire community. Um, Jeremy? Is this yep. really is this really the the d- domains of of district councils? Ilner says they should be more focused on really local local issues like street hygiene and crowd control. So, you know these things. I mean, is, is yep. tourism really something that should be left to the uh, the center the, the you know the main government of Hong Kong? So the uh, our responsibility as councillors appointed or elected is not to organize these night vibes. We are here to give advice to the government on um, their proposal to execute and organize. We're not executors. We're not spending time uh, getting people to, to uh, operate stalls and uh, marketing. No, we're not. We're here to give advice after listening to residents, like the one that you just mentioned. Uh, thank, thank, um, thank the residents for the, uh, the advice. Yes, our focus is very much on the immediate everyday life issues faced by citizens and residents of, of all backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but we, we're here to help promote and attend, obviously, and to demonstrate that each district have its speciality. For example, Central Western District. Yesterday, one of the council mentioned uh, it's, it's the western part of the Central Western District is famous for dried seafood. Um, so maybe a lot of the theme could be based on that. You know, um, and residents right before the Chinese New Year period is the best time to buy these uh, producers and, and go and have family dinners. However, one must balance, as, as you mentioned, uh, the interest of the existing shops. Will the customers end up spending money on the, on the festival and not the existing uh, shops? I think that that needs to be balanced. And maybe they should have priority hosting extra stalls in the festivals. And just getting people out on the street and changing the habit 
reunite with families and friends, foreign and abroad or local. I think that's the main theme, and it's, it's not a permanent thing, so it, it wouldn't take too much time. We used oh, to have a great my, my. night market near the Macau Ferry Pier. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> should we have that one again? Well, the problem is finding the space now. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty crowded area. I, I know that area pretty well, and I used to live in Saiyang Pun, which is I think where you're talking is the uh, the seafood district. Kenneth, is there is there a disconnect if the, if the district councils are coming up with these ideas for events? Where where should they be getting their intel from? I mean, I mean, maybe they have pressure to like come up with some random idea before they show up at a meeting. I mean, or, or are there are there is there any way they can plug into the, maybe the academic? community yeah. like yours to get <clears throat> find out if these ideas are even feasible or not? Yeah, sure. I, I think, uh, you know, the district council should uh, conduct some kind of a feasibility study or commission a small-scale survey. Or as uh, Jeremy mentioned, I think they have a good connection with the local resident. They can talk to the labor hopes and, and see what, what they want. And I, I think uh, of course, it's not just an idea. We need a more solid plan, and, and then they, they need to do a kind of a survey and, and understand more about, you know, the, the market and, and try to match with the characteristic, okay, of the district, okay, how we can help Hong Kong overall to attract more tourists, etc. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, what do you what do you think of that? Does the do the district councils have capacity? To do this, you said they don't execute, <clears throat> but do they have capacity to organize maybe a small study or to set up a partnership with a market research with one of the universities? Um, I, I mean, in your district, you've got Hong Kong U. I mean, <laughs> I think absolutely. And this is the beauty of the new council. A lot of us, um, probably I'm the least qualified, are experts in our own field. We have dentists, we have university survey, professional survey conductors. We have investment officers. Myself, my claim to my expertise could be related to education. So everyone is bringing something to the table that is different, and that is it. Is, and it is also not political. It, it's nothing to do with politics now. It's all about getting things done. And and if I have nothing to add to the meeting, I won't speak. But in another agenda item related to education, uh, I will speak up. So I think it, it's really a teamwork. And that's the beauty of government appointing certain people that would not have had the time nor the resources to run political campaigns, but now they're in the council having a voice to represent their constituency. It could be children, it could be ethnic minorities. So I think it's really a plus. Of course, there are, there are cons. You know, people that are appointed might never have the tenacity to face residents on a voluntary basis. And that's why the government instills some KPIs, quantifiable KPIs for, for us to focus. Hmm. So it's a, but it's early days. We just had one meeting. Right. It's the start of a, of a journey. Um, I'm ju I, I take up the point of our listener about tourism. Um, this really, the objective here, as I understand it, is to get the local residents used to going out in the evening again. Absolutely. I think that... We, we really need to work together. And, it, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a knock-on effect. Right. A, a certain percentage of residents keep on going out. There will be less people staying home to meet other people at their own home. So, and then everyone will just follow. I, I love to see that day when, when Hong Kong is busy at night. And, you know, for, for, for once, I'm happy to see traffic jams. <laughs> yeah, ready yeah. To say that. We, we might be able to help you here. Yeah, we almost had a, almost had an issue this morning coming to the studio, but um, but the point is that the benefits for tourism, if any, should be a side effect. 
it's not the main target. Is that right? I think for local festivals, uh, vibes, I think, yes. Um, It's not exclusive to attracting more foreign tourists to Hong Kong. Um, Those uh, put Hong Kong in a different platform in the global stage. But this local night vibes thing is not about promoting Hong Kong to the world. It's about promoting the community life to local residents after COVID. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, though, if you're running a restaurant in this town, it is about the tourism. There's we, there's no way we're going back to, you know, replacing the 42 million visitors that we had a year pre-COVID. And they are feeling the hurt. They are like, get those tourists back in here. But we had the head of the Hong Kong Conventions and Exhibition uh, Association here a couple of weeks ago, right in our studio. And he said that Hong Kong in 2015 lobbied Shenzhen to put a barrier on their people so they can they can only get one exit visa a month to come to Hong Kong and that is still in effect people would like to come to Hong Kong more and they're not allowed our district councillors you know looking at things like you know issues like this to say we should do this I mean Kenneth I don't know if you've done any research uh, that maybe relates to this and the impact it's had on Hong Kong but I mean uh, you know should we be looking at trying to trying to get these types of barriers to visitors lifted yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. Uh, you know, some of my students, you know, they also tell me, uh, you know, their fellow Chinese uh, people, I mean, they only get one or two times, okay, uh, the visa to come to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, you know, in order to attract more mainland fellow uh, to come to the Hong Kong, we can look into the issue. Can we ask for the central government to give us more so-called decoder to let more fellow Chinese to come and visit Hong Kong? Yeah. Right, but I'm, I'm beginning to wonder here whether getting people out of their house in the evening is actually going to lure more of them to Shenzhen. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. That Could be. is Could a be. possibility, and I think Hong Kong being more interconnected with Shenzhen and the Greater Bay Area will benefit both sides, yeah. bring a diversity. In the short term, yes. Hong Kong, you know, we, we came out of COVID really late, so there's a yes. pent-up demand to, to go and see the world. We are very international people. We used to travel a lot. So if you build up, accumulate the three years of international travel, cross-border travel, and then spread them back over one year, this is what we're feeling right now. But I don't think that will be a permanent uh, feature. Well, I mean, I think that, according to the, the guy from the exhibition and convention center, there's a barrier to allowing mainlanders to come and visit us. They, they would Apparently, they would like to do more so. Uh, and Kenneth is hearing it from, from students. Um, I mean, Jeremy, is this something that a district council could appropriately take up and say to the Hong Kong government, hey, you know, yeah, we know that in 2015 we said we don't want so many of you, but uh, changed our minds. Would you mind sending a few more our way? Is that something the district uh, council could take an advisory uh, role? From a a district council position, I don't think the central western district is that relevant to the border travel. So we're really focused on local. If we ask to give advice on that by the government. We'll be happy to give, but I don't think we, we have the power to, to raise that as an agenda. Item. Right. It's not for your initiative. I mean, I, I got a Correct. true confession. I live in Central and Western, and I've been <laughs> th- three times to Shenzhen for dinner uh, in the second half of last year. So maybe that's a confession on my part. It's very attractive mm-hmm. and very cheap. Yeah. You go from Admiralty, you go straight up to the border. You don't even need the fast train. Yeah, I mean, and there's certainly a lot of businesses in Central and Western District that are keen to have mainland tourists. Uh, it's not that far to get from the train state, the you know, the high-speed rail in Kowloon side back over to Central. But so maybe, maybe Jeremy, you guys want to take that up, Kenneth? What other measures do you see 
uh, could help Hong Kong to get get a more vibrant nightlife? I mean, is there is there any other research that's actually been done out there that says, <laughs> oh, actually, here are like five things we could do? Yeah, really uh, uh, frankly speaking, uh, we did not do any research, but we think, you know, it's a time, okay, to we investigate, uh, you know, the, the habit of the local residents, so what they want. I think this is a most basic question from the marketing perspective. What customer want from us? What, what do they like, okay? So I think this information can help us to better plan for all this kind of event. I think we don't just simply copy from what we did in the past, but we have to add some new elements or develop some new themes, okay, that might, you know, uh, attract more customers, as I mentioned before. So as, I, as a professor, I think we do need research, okay, to make uh, some more informed decision. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend of mine who runs a big market research firm here at Simigo, and he is always stresses. It depends on how you ask the question. If you ask people in Hong Kong, for example, um, you know, do you want mainland tourists blocking your roads, using up all your facilities, <laughs> filling up your parks? They'd yeah. be like, no. Right. And we had that situation a few years ago. But if you ask people, do you want restaurants closing down all over your neighborhood, boarded up shops everywhere because there's no tourists to shop there? Uh, they would probably also say no. I mean, uh, how do you how do you get around? I think I think we figuring, we, figuring out what you should do. Yeah, when, I agree with you. You know, depend on how we ask the question. But uh, as, a, as a professor, we, we have a way. I mean, a standard. OK, to ask this question, not in a directly way. We won't ask, OK, would you like to? To have more tours or, or something like what you say uh, yeah, would you yeah. want to have a more restaurant I think to I mean we won't ask such a question in such a direct manner we will ask indirectly and we can make use of some statistic okay try to make some inference okay I'm, what, what do they think yeah there are ways of posing these questions in a neutral way yeah. so that you you're getting the genuine fee. I, I think price is also going to come into this when we all had to eat at home because mm. there was no alternative, mm -hmm. we realized it's much cheaper to eat at home mm. than it is to eat outside. <laughs> right. Uh, um, that, that's not going to change unless, unless prices come down. Yeah. I, I think, uh, again, from a marketing perspective, we should not only look into the pricing factor only. There are some other factors that might help, you know, create value to our, our customer. So I think Hong Kong is a quite expensive. We, we can't compete on the price difficult. So we might have to look into some new dimension and to create some new value to our, our you know, local resident or so-called customer. How about music? How about people walking around the restaurant playing the violin or some other musical instrument? That, that can be. But I think, uh, like what you say, I, I think we have to offer some kind of entertainment Okay, I mean, today we, we feel a lot of pressure. I think people want to go out and enjoy a day. So how about we think some uh, entertainment, okay, that might help to attract them? Jer Jeremy, on, on the Central and Western District Council, and I'm, I'm interested, that's my hood. Um, is there anybody on the council that has any expertise in this area? I mean, you said your, your thing is education, which is great. Uh, are, are there any people that you can clearly identify as having experience in events, tourism, bars and restaurants? Um, so I, I, I know some of the councillors well. There are others that I met for the first time um, yesterday. So I, I hope there will be. But uh, if they don't have the direct expertise themselves, I trust that they will be able to find someone who has that expertise. That, that, that I think, is the, the, the key difference this time is everyone can bring something to the table. And we bring a slightly different network of community to the table as well.
Okay. Well, I know that, uh, Jeremy, if I see you trolling the bars in Lang Kwai Fung late at night, I will know you are out doing research and speaking to your constituents, not just, you know, having a crazy night out. I think he should be knocking on doors and asking people, why are you staying home? Yeah, get out. Get out and see some stuff. Thank you very much. Um, We're going to break for the the news at the half hour. We're going to thank you, uh, Jeremy Young, who is a member of the Central and Western District Council. Thanks for joining us this morning. Continuing with us after the break is going to be Kenneth Kwong. He is an assistant professor at the Department of Marketing at Hang Seng University, so hang in with us in our QGO office. Having a quick look at the weather. Uh, it's going to be mainly fine today. Cool in the morning, which we like. Maximum temperature around 21 degrees today. Looking forward to the weekend. It's uh, remaining cool in the morning and the next few days. <clears throat> windier on Sunday and Monday, which to me sounds like a pretty good weekend coming up. Right, Mike? Absolutely. I oh. know I'm going to have a great one. All right. We're going to take that uh, to have the news at the half hour. Currently at the observatory, it is 18 degrees Celsius and 76% humidity. This is Back Chat. And now the news with Martin Holmes. The United States has accused North Korea of supplying Russia with ballistic missiles and launches to use in its war against Ukraine. The White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby said newly declassified intelligence showed Russia had recently used the missiles in action. The Islamic State group said it carried out Wednesday's twin explosions in the Iranian city of Kerman, which killed 84 people. The blast targeted a memorial event for General Qasem Soleimani, four years after he was killed by a U.S. drone. The jihadist Sunni group named the two suicide bombers and accused General Soleimani of being involved in dozens of massacres against Muslims in Syria and Iraq. And police in the U.S. state of Iowa say one student's been killed in a shooting at a school in the town of Perry. Officers told a news conference the 17-year-old gunman, a student at Perry High School, had died, apparently taking his own life. The school principal was among five people injured. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. The Education Bureau Study Subsidy Scheme for Designated Professions or Sectors will subsidize students admitted to designated self-financing undergraduate programs. In the 2024-25 academic year, the annual subsidy amount will be up to about 45,000 Hong Kong dollars or 79,000 Hong Kong dollars depending on the program. For details, please search online for SSSDP and visit the designated website. To create a brighter future for Hong Kong, how should we allocate resources? Promote green transformation, help the needy, nurture future leaders, improve quality of our homes, diversify industries, enhance financial services and INT, and attract talent and enterprises. Achieve sustainable development and grow the pie for Hong Kong. The 2024 to 25 budget public consultation has started. Go to budget.gov.hk and share your views. And we're back on Back Chat with me, Andrew Work, and Mike Rouse. And we are talking about uh, some plans by some of the district councils to introduce their own uh, kind of localized night vibes. Uh, continuing with us is Kenneth Kwong, the assistant professor of the Department of Marketing at Hang Seng University. And joining us now on the line, new to the show this morning, is Jermaine Lau, the secretary of the Licensed Bar and Club Association of Hong Kong. Good morning, Jermaine Lau. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you, too. No, no, Jermaine, you're the secretary of the Licensed Bar and Club Association. Is there an unlicensed bar and club association? 
I'm actually not too sure as well. I don't think so. Probably (laughs) something... Like They're that. probably meeting in jail, I would think. Yeah, yeah, or underground. Um, Jermaine, uh, you know, they're talking about introducing these these uh, localized versions of a night vibes. Is, is this what Hong Kong needs right now? Is this what our district councilors should be focused on? So I think uh, the whole concept of it, it it's great. Um, uh, is it great or is it only okay? I'm asking. <laughs> well... I think the Night Vibe campaign in Hong Kong has both positive and mixed effects on the night uh, on the nightlife industry in itself. I mean, on the positive side, the campaign has brought some sort of attention and promotion to the nightlife scene, leading to some sort of heightened public awareness and interest. Uh, and it also helped uh, to create a vibrant and a slightly lively atmosphere um, uh, at night time, attracting locals and tourists alike to explore the diverse range of entertainment options available in the city. So, uh, and also provided opportunities for collaboration and partnership between the government, district councils, and local businesses. So, but, um, but I think the impact of the Night Vibe campaign can vary across different districts and establishments because the footfall and revenue during this campaign can, uh, the effectiveness of it and the impact of it may vary on various factors and uh, individual circumstances, uh, circumstances based on the area and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we talked a lot in the first part of the show about whether it's about getting people out of <clears throat> of getting people out of the house. Um, but is it going to divert people? I mean, do you want? Do you think that having these night vibes things, they'll, at least if they're out of the house, maybe later they'll go to the bar and club, you know, hit the clubs after, which might help your members, or or are they diverting business away from your from your 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 uh, members? I don't think it actually makes that big of a difference to the nightlife industry, actually. Mm. Okay. Is this is this an era, Jermaine, where we're just going to have to try it and see what happens? I think it's really about trying to see what happens because so far we don't really see how the nightlife uh, and the night vibe campaign has benefited to um, the industry at all. Mm. Okay, so low low impact from your your point of view, Um, Kenneth Kwong. Yep. Is, it, is, it, is this diversionary, having these types of separate markets, these night markets, is it diversionary? Is it people would have gone out anyways and, you know, the regular established bars and restaurants uh, are going to suffer? Or is this stimulative? Are they going to go out and do this? And then they maybe will go back into the regular city and, you know, do I, a little I mean, shopping, do a little restaurants, hit the bars. Yeah. There, there, there will be some synergetic uh, effect. Uh, I mean, it is good, okay, to, uh, you know, Ask people to go out uh, to look around and even to spend money. Uh, no matter they spend money on the bar or the dining or shopping, etc. I think, uh, I mean, in the market, I think nowadays we need a certain uh, amorphisics, okay? Try to encourage people, okay, uh, to spend and most important to regain their confidence, okay? So they mm. are happy to spend and, you know, uh, you know, enjoy their life. I think this is very important nowadays. It's very much a chicken and egg situation here. If, if they're at home, 
they're maybe it's cheaper, but they're not, not they're not showing joy. But if you get them out, right. maybe it'll be, it'll roll and it'll grow because they're out. Yeah. Who's and I guess what the district councils are saying? Well, the government at sort of SAR level has got all its plans to attract tourists and also get people out. Locally, we want to be doing something as well. Right. I, I, I definitely agree with you, Mike. I think we need some kind of plans. Uh, I mean, how we can, you know, regain, uh, I, I don't want to use the word confident, but, you know, make people more happy, more enjoyable, you know, their life. And so they will go out and eat with their fans, meet fans, you know, etc. Yeah, I've, I've got an email here from TC. TC says... These activities are akin to when one's home is on fire. They want to redo the flooring. The night economy, and for that matter, the entire economy, won't be revived by people buying curry fish balls. Yeah. But, but I think if what you're talking about, and maybe Jermaine, you know, you might be able to comment on this as well. But, you know, you know and I don't want to sound too old here, but, you know, say back in the day, you know, I talk to people who are in their 20s now and they're like, yeah, we're going out for a big Saturday night. I'm like, great. What about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Because when I was, you know, in the 90s, when I was that age, you know, it was like you would go out Wednesday night, party hard, be back at work at 7 in the morning. back then, eh? Yeah, that's right. You know, ladies night Wednesday. Thursday, you go out. Friday, like Thursday was the weekend. You got, you went back to work. And it, I don't think that's the case anymore. Like, Jermaine, you, you would best know that. But, I mean, it used to be like Wednesday was crazy. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all bananas. And then Monday night, there was always drink specials somewhere. That's right. Wasn't there a thing where it was free for girls yeah, yeah, to go into night. certain ladies clubs? Night. And then ladies night. Yeah, yeah, then we had a big debate about sexism. But that's, you know, a different issue. But, Jermaine, uh, I don't know how long you've been in the business in Hong Kong, but, I mean, it's, is, it, is it a different culture now? Is this, is, as Kenneth is saying, does the culture have to change for us to have more? I think, I think the culture has changed a little bit. I think also, um, uh, sorry, wow. And I also think that um, consumer, uh, the way that consumers are spending right now is also a lot different from back in the days as well. So that's why um, uh, even for Christmas and New Year's, the industry hasn't seen, uh, even for New Year's and also Christmas, um, the industry uh, has been suffering a little bit as well. And... Honestly, the Night Vibe campaign is great, but we haven't seen it benefiting the industry. Right. And what, what are the prospects for the Lunar New Year? I mean, that's our next big holiday, isn't it? It's usually a quiet time, isn't it? In February. Well, that's. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what I'm asking. Is it going to be quiet? Um, I, I, many years ago, and I'm talking. Fifty years ago, I'm sounding yeah, like no, Andrew. You're, you're, you're doing me even. Hong Kong basically shut down for three or four days yeah. at the Lunar New Year. Uh, I think that's changed, though, uh, with shops staying open and so on. Um, where are we going to fall uh, this time round? Actually, for Lunar's New Year, um, I mean, already for Christmas and New Year's, we already saw around two mil people leaving Hong Kong to celebrate it elsewhere and all that for um, Lunar New Year. Uh, because in Chinese culture, it's really about spending time with your family and all that kind of stuff. So mm. normally, um, businesses during Lunar New Year is not exactly the greatest as well. So, uh, but, but we're hopeful. We hope that um, during the, that time, uh, 
hopefully more uh, tourists and more um, locals would uh, be in Hong Kong to actually um, uh, get out. bars and uh, yeah. network different places. Get it, get out and have a few drinks. I mean, I imagine the Rugby Sevens is going to be a high point on the calendar for the bar and club industry. Have you got any other high points on the year? Uh, definitely not really. But I, I mean, I know the Sevens is a huge deal and it's a big thing. And it also, and um, honestly, Sevens is one of the um, biggest events in Hong Kong that actually uh, do bring um, impact to the nightlife industry with. Um, Bars around uh, playing the sport and all uh, playing shows at the sport and all that kind of stuff. Kenneth, how do you yep. see the Lunar New Year? I think I, I'm not quite optimistic about the, the market because, as you know, the, the economic is loud, very weak. Uh, so I, I think, you know, same as the Christmas, I, I don't expect, you know, we will have a very good, uh, you know, a day. I mean, in, in the New Year's, probably people will still, uh, you know, uh, restrict their spending uh, because, as I mentioned, the confidence quite now, right now is very, very low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, we got to we got to get some big party. Uh, we need some big party type events back on the calendar. You know, like clock and flap, mm-hmm. rugby sevens. I mean, does music help, Jermaine? If you have a big event like clock and flap, which is you know arguably Hong Kong's biggest music festival, it's right in the heart of the city. Does that help stimulate the industry at all? Do people walk out of that event and carry keep the party going? I actually think that, um, well, for me, I, I, I do think that um, Clock and Flap uh, has helped a bit in terms of promoting, uh, uh, it, it has helped impacting the nightlife industry in the sense that after uh, Clock and Flap event, it gave um, different bars and uh, different clubs um, promotional, uh, the, uh, it gave different clubs and bars a way to give promotional discounts to um, clock and flap uh, attenders uh, and then it did help stimulate some sort of uh, right. business and all that around different uh, bars and clubs in Hong Kong. Should we, Kenneth, should we make a last ditch attempt to get Taylor Swift to come here? <laughs> would, that, would that help us? Well, hopefully, hopefully the new stadium will help with that sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. <laughs> Not sure. That Not won't sure. be till next year, though. Because I, I, I see she's coming um, to Australia, to right. Japan and uh, Singapore. Taipei, Kaohsiung. She's going to Kaohsiung. So I can, I can just see <laughs> Hong Kong. we're going to have a repeat of the Hong Kong people going somewhere else to spend their money. Yeah, right. Whether yeah. it's in the evening or the week, whenever, yeah. rather than home. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of bars and clubs in particular, Jermaine, because we got you on. Um, this summer, I was in Montreal, which I hadn't been back to for a long time. I've got you know some roots there, and uh, pedestrianized areas everywhere. Boulevard Saint Laurent, pedestrianized area, huge one. They call it the Entertainment District. They've got another one at Saint Denis, Quartier Latin, Mont Royal, three point two kilometers pedestrianized. Then you go out to one of the suburbs, Verdun, huge one. And what are they doing? They've got an EDM festival going on, the Festival de Marianette. There's just nonstop people in the streets drinking carrying on late into the night it's incredible um i mean jermaine has your or, or association pushing for pedestrianized districts where people can really kind of cut loose um we can get more of these kind of whether it's like an edm festival that brings out the nightlife have are you guys pushing for anything like that so for uh we're not 
actually, uh, we we haven't had any plans on pushing on EDM events as uh, as per se, and even for Hong Kong's clocking slap, uh, it did bring some sort of impact to the nightlife industry. But at the same time, with um, various artists uh, canceling last minute because of um, health. Uh, issues and all that kind of stuff. We also saw the fact that Cotton Flat itself isn't exactly doing particularly great this year as well. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe not their best year. What do you what do you think of that, Kenneth Kwong? Uh, pedestrianized, you know, pedestrianized areas, so we can <laughs> spruce these areas up. I mean, I've seen it work in other places. Yes, I, I think this is a good idea, you know, to have these kinds of uh, you know pedestrian life. But you know, just look into the uh, you know the firework we have a few days before. Mm. I think uh, you know a kind of uh, you know a, a kind of a traffic control. You know, you know that, that that we have to think about it. Is it yeah. easier and possible to have this kind of an event again? I, yeah, but to be fair, I think I think it was quite unexpected how many how many people were expected to like go home at the end of like go cross the border at the yeah. end of the park. That's never happened before. Well, yeah, come to Hong Kong for the day and spend the night in Shangshui uh, Railway Station. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had friends who were walking around in MTR stations <laughs> in yeah. the morning, and they're like, "Who are all these people? It's what pretty, are these people?" We've lost Jeremy because I think this pedestrianisation thing is something that the district councils can take the lead on. Well, that could, they can be saying. In our district, this this would be a natural place for a, a pedestrian zone. I think we not at weekends, maybe or uh, permanently. Yeah, th- that's something where their local expertise really really counts. All right, and maybe that could be a, a future topic for another back chat show because we've uh, run out of time on this topic. But I think we've had a good one with Jermaine Lau, the secretary for the Licensed Bar and Club Association of Hong Kong, and Kenneth Kwong. The Assistant Professor, Department of Marketing, Hang Seng University. Thank you very both. Uh, thank you very much to both of you for joining us today on Backchat. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. All right, we're back on Backchat, and we are talking about copyright because. Something very uh, unusual is happening in the world of copyright uh, as as famous properties are getting older. They are coming out of copyright and a very famous one in particular we're going to be talking about today with Professor Ji-An Lee, the executive director of the Center for Legal Innovation and Digital Technology at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Also a visiting professor at the Washington University and St. Louis School of Law. Good morning, Professor Lee. Hey, good morning. Professor Lee, um, a lot of people are out there saying that Mickey Mouse is uh, off copyright protection, but that's not precisely true, is it? What exactly has come out from copyright protection and why? Right. Um, I think the fact that Mickey Mouse is no longer protected by copyright law, as you say, doesn't mean that it's entirely in the public domain or everyone can use it for whatever purpose. Uh, There are still a number of restrictions. Uh, For example, we need to know that Mickey Mouse is still protected as Disney's trademark, which is another kind of intellectual property. Uh, Trademark law provides uh, intellectual property owners with uh, protection different from copyright. So with trademark right, Disney can still prevent others from using Mickey Mouse as a logo uh, or brand. Uh, And the other thing that we need to know is that uh, what has been falling into the public domain uh, is the Mickey Mouse character, which was actually created uh, in a movie. 
Right. So if I'm doing a news report about Disney, I can throw a, an image of Mickey Mouse on the screen behind the, tel the, the, uh, the TV reporter, uh, the anchor person, while they're doing it. But if I want to go out and create a Mickey Mouse movie of my own, that is definitely not allowed, right? Certainly. I think the baseline is that you are not able to compete with Disney directly in the market. Right. But satire is okay. Like I remember in Hong Kong, we had a big copyright debate and there was a concern that satire might not be allowed under the new copyright debate. And there was a famous cover of a, I think it was a newspaper that used the Avengers poster, but then put like Hong Kong government officials faces on them as like the team. And that was kind of a famous example that went to courts. Um, uh, but I mean, how far does this go? I mean, how far? Because I mean, you, we saw what happened with uh, Blood and Honey. Recently. Yes, we do have that kind of uh, exception. So um, I think the, uh, the Winnie the Pooh, uh, Blood and Honey, that is another story. So that is because uh, Winnie the Pooh copyright has already entered uh, into the public domain. 
Um, so, but the fact that we are able to uh, do the satire or parody uh, with copyright work, so that is mostly because of the uh, free speech concerns, and that is mostly uh, recognized in uh, most of the countries as fair use or fair dealing. Right. So these are kind of like two different uh, lines here. So uh, for fair use, fair dealing, that includes um, the so-called parody or satire use. Um, so that is actually applicable to all copyright works. So mm. whereas uh, the, the story that we are talking about today, so which is that uh, some work that is no longer protected by copyright, that is in the public domain, so everyone can use that, and you don't need to check whether that is fair use or not. Right. right. Professor Lee, what is the next big treasure trove of material that's going to come out of protection? Do we, do we have any idea uh, of that? Yeah, I think uh, what we are uh, kind of like expecting something uh, to happen is that uh, some people might try to make different use of the Mickey Mouse character. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing would, see, uh, would be, so what Disney would do, so is Disney going to uh, exercise its trademark uh, or enforce uh, its copyright and claim, oh, you are actually using a new version uh, of Mickey Mouse, so which is not yet in the public domain. So that might be something that uh, uh, we think very likely will be happening. I, I guess with the ease with which people can use, uh, you know, can use whether it's Photoshop or video editing or even now artificial intelligence, uh, the ease with which people can use those tools means that a lot of people that are not well educated on issues of copyright and trademark are, are probably going to take a crack at these properties and then get slapped on the wrist. I mean, is this is, is Disney going to even Disney's massive legal capabilities? Are they going to be able to deal with that? Yeah, I personally think this is not only a legal issue. So it looks more like a PR issue because uh, a lot of people who would like to make use of Mickey Mouse, they uh, also claim that they are big fans of Mickey Mouse. So a big question <laughs> for Disney to decide that are you going to sue your fan or not? Uh, yeah. Or uh, if you put it differently, so people are actually uh, helping to promote uh, Mickey Mouse in different right. ways. Professor, if I use Mickey Mouse in a different way, um, uh -huh. Could I copyright that? It's possible because uh, uh, the way that we uh, make use of public domain resources uh, is always possibly to be copyrightable. So that being said, if I have my own original way of making use of the public domain Mickey Mouse, uh, I can of course claim copyright over the new work uh, that I create uh, based upon a Mickey Mouse. I think uh, one thing that we just discussed about uh, is the use of the Winnie the Pro character for the new movie. So that new movie is of course copyrightable. Ah, so, so okay, and I think for people who might not know, the, the, the Winnie the Pooh situation is similar to the Steamboat mm -hmm. Willie Mickey Mouse one we have in that the copyright for the original A.A. A. Milne Winnie the Pooh has come off, but mm -hmm. not the Disney version, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Disney Winnie the Pooh is still protected, but the original that came before it by A.A. A. Milne, the original author, uh, that is what was used in this, this low-budget horror slasher fic, Blood and Honey. Um, and I guess that's the treatment that Steamboat Willie is going to get in the near future. Right. They've already right. released the trailer I think for that. For, 
um, producers or uh, creators who would like to uh, make use of Mickey Mouse um, character. Um, so a good lesson to learn from uh, the Winnie the Pooh movie, so which is actually just released uh, last year, was that number one, uh, you need to make sure uh, the word that you use has already uh, been falling to the public domain. That is the one thing. And the other thing is that uh, you might want to claim copyright uh, uh, your new work. So you try to uh, do something original, so which is very different from the previous work. So that might be the way for you to claim copyright uh, over the new directive work. Right. I, I guess one of the most famous cases of this was in music was uh, Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. When they really kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, they ripped off everybody in making that album. And, and they said, this is sampling. And then later, you know, everybody accused them of plagiarism. But you know, of stealing, but then which was the name of a couple of the songs reference to that. But then later on, that became the new standard of sampling. People said, okay, sampling is okay in music now. Um, and I mean, I guess, how far does that go? If I wanted to put on a production of, of the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique, entire album, charge people to go see it, can they come back to me and say, hey, that's our copyright? And I'll say, no, you lifted you know, most of the most of the content from other artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, you're right. Certainly there's a, a great area, not that easy to define. Uh, but the way that we view sampling is that, uh, so you don't make use uh, kind of like the majority portion or significant part of any uh, one single song. So you probably just make use kind of like a, a very small part, uh, so which will not directly compete with the original work. Uh, and also uh, there won't be any kind of like a, a confusion among uh, uh, consumers. Um, so people won't kind of like think, hey, uh, this is exactly that work. So for sampling or for this kind of a, a remix work, um, so most of the listeners, they can not directly link to the previous song because you are mixing too many different components from different right. songs. Professor Lee, is this bonanza time for lawyers? Hmm. Are we going to see lots of cases in court or is, <laughs> do you think it's... Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, as a lawyer, so of course, uh, or as a copyright lawyer, so of course I would say... Uh, most copyright lawyers would see, be happy to see this uh, because we are still talking about a number of different kind of uh, controversy disputes, so which might possibly become a lawsuit or different kind of uh, negotiation in the future. Mm. But as you said, it's a danger of alienating the friends of Mickey the Mouse. The fan base, yeah. The fan base. Yeah. Right, right, right. And I, I think on both sides, the user side or uh, the owner side, so they all need to probably talk to their lawyer because uh, uh, the line, as we discussed today, is still not that clear. And I, I guess some of this coincides with the, the arrival of certain technologies that popularize certain brands, icons, characters. Um, and so we're going to see a lot more of the, the OGs of modern technology, meaning film and then recorded music coming up for grabs, uh, which is going to make it very interesting. And like Mike said, maybe good work for a lot of lawyers out there. A yeah, lot of IP exactly. Lawyers. Yeah. And, and, and probably AI will also play a role. Oh, so boy. making use of all these uh, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, public domain resources. Lots to talk about on another show. Thank you very much to Professor Jianan Lee, Executive Director of the Center for Legal Innovation and Digital Technology at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. First time on with me, and I think it was a good one. Love to have him back. Uh, be sure to get back on the airwaves on Back Chat on Monday with Jim Gould and none other than Mike Rouse. Now, I'm copywriting Mike Rouse. <laughs> and, the one uh, and only. I want a huge fee. Uh -huh. There you go. Thank you very much to our producer, Raphael Butt, and our audio engineer, Tong Wing Ming. I'm Andrew Work, and this is Back Chat. Have a great weekend. <laughs>